Man, good morning. Um, I was I was standing back there in the beginning. I was looking looking out, and there's some back of heads that I don't recognize, um, which is good. I like to see unrecognizable backs of heads. Uh, so if you're here and I don't recognize the back of your head, thank you for being a guest, and uh, we're grateful that you're here. Um, you you ch chose to jump in at a good time, and for those of you who've been with us a while, you did too. Uh, we're in the midst of a series. We've got this week and one more week just kind of talking about who we are and why we're here, kind of going over the mission. If you've been with us a little while, you, you'll hear us say that, um, man, we exist to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And so we're kind of going through each one of those statements, just kind of talking about who we are and why we say those things. Um, and so today, we're kind of in the, the third part of that mission statement. And so to catch you up, we talked about this idea for a couple, week, uh, a couple weeks about making disciples. We kind of had to identify what that meant first, what's kind of the universal truths behind being a disciple, and then what does it look like to make disciples. And we landed on this idea that if we're going to do it, uh, we need to do it like Jesus. And so the way that he did it, we talked about that. If you missed that, you can hop on the website or iTunes or Pandora or whatever those, Spotify, I don't know, and, uh, and find us. I don't think we're on Pandora. Sorry, that's a jewelry store, isn't it? Or an old school way to stream music. I don't know. But either way, we're on those places. And, um, and so you can hop on there and catch up. And then last week, we just, man, just from a basic standpoint, what does it mean um, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with everything that you've got? You know, he listed kind of the three to four parts when he was speaking to a Jewish and Greek audience of love the Lord your God with all your mind, all of your soul, all your heart, and all of your strength. And if you weren't here for that, go back and listen to. Um, that, was, that was fun, uh, just kind of going through that. And so today, man, we're going to talk about what it means to, to love one another. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and kind of give it away a little bit. If you were here the very first week of the new year, we, we did talk about uh, the idea that we saw and the passage that we saw in John chapter 13 in which uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And, you know, they were kind of appalled by that. They were like, no, 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 don't do that. He's like, no, I have to because if I don't, uh, you have no place with me. He was like, you have to let me serve you. But then at the end of that, he said, now I give you a new commandment. He said, the new command that I give, commandment that I give you in John, thir John 13, verses 34, 35, he said, is that you love one another the way that I've loved you. And we talked about that. How does Jesus love us? What do we do with that? And so while the part of our mission statement is love one another, we want to think about that. Um, what we mean when we say one, love one another is, is we're trying to convey this idea that Scripture uses basically one Greek word for, and it's called koinonia. And it, it means, most of the time it's translated into fellowship, uh, it's translated into sharing, it's translated several different ways, but it's always this idea that a family is together. Just togetherness. Um, and so when we say love one another, that's what we mean. Today we're going to um, kind of go to our, our go-to passage on that in Acts chapter 2, and, and we're just going to look at the first church how they did it. I think sometimes our best way of learning things, if you haven't figured this out, is just to go to the place that it started. You know, go to the source um, and look at what that looked like. And that's what we're going to do uh, today. Uh, some of us got together on Friday night and went to a combination of NASCAR and WWE. Um, it's called Monster Jam. We took some of the sons and some of, us, some of us guys went and did that. And so we've got to experience this love one another with RPMs and fumes. And it was a lot of fun. I think some ladies got together on Friday night too. But, but we just want to think about like this idea. What does it really look like for us to do this on a daily basis? Um, let me pray and we're going to jump in. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for your word that it's, it's not just a collection of stories 
Um, and it's not just algorithms of ways that we need to live, but God, it's, it's you conveying to us truth. Uh, we get to observe how you live, how you respond, the things that you want us to know all in your pages. God, I pray today that we will be able to hear your words, learn from uh, how your bride uh, started, and, and kind of take that uh, to heart and figure out what we need to do and, and how we need to be. Uh, God, we thank you for loving us first and loving us best, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So right before the passage that we're going to jump into and read, um, we see that uh, Pentecost occurred. Pentecost was after Jesus ascended back to heaven where he should have always been, but he came down, he took on sin, he lived the life we could not, he died the death that we could not, and he beat death because we could not. And then after that, he spent some time with his disciples, about 40 days, and then he leaves them. And when he leaves them, he says, I'm leaving you with a mission now. Therefore, as a result of all that you've seen, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that you've heard me teach you. And don't worry, I'm going to be with you through it all. And then after he ascended, um, the angels are sitting there, and they basically said, uh, if this is freaking you out the way that he left, just wait until he comes back, because it's going to blow your minds. And basically, same idea. He said, now, uh, I'm leaving you with power, like dynamite-type power and authority that should have only been Jesus's, but he's giving it to us. Go and wait for it. And, and they went. It says the disciples went, and they waited in the upper room, and the Spirit of God descended on them. It said it was like flaming tongues of fire over their head would have freaked me out. But they waited for it, and then they went out, and basically Peter just gave a history lesson. You know, we would have been bored to death if that was a sermon, but Peter went out to the crowds, Jews and Greeks, and he gave this huge history lesson, basically talking about the very beginning of the prophets leading all the way up to Jesus. And right before the passage that we're going to focus on, in chapter 2, verse 36, this is not going to be up here, but it says this. It said, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, in the sense that they're also Jews, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same thing that's on us now. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, talking just mainly about just men, but there were women and children too. A ton of people heard this good news, that it was Jesus who was the Christ, and only through him can they be made right with God. They heard the gospel, and they responded to the gospel. And the very next passage that we're going to read and kind of focus on is basically what happened next. So they, they didn't go away. We, we've said this a lot. They didn't go away to a conference. They didn't go away to a workshop. No, they received the gospel. The Holy Spirit came on them, rested on them, and then they began to act out what we're about to see in the book of Acts. And so we're going to read kind of the description uh, of what it looked like, the early church, and how it was. And I'll go ahead and give it away. It wasn't about Sunday gatherings. It wasn't about a big, beautiful building with stained glass and, and a brass steeple or a bronze steeple or a, a corroded copper steeple. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't any of those things. No, it was about a family, a family that was gathered together under one dad with one Savior and one Spirit inhabiting every single one of them. But make no mistake, they were a family. And so let's read, read about that family. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to read through 47, and then we're going to go back and just kind of talk through that. 
Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we read the book of Acts, we, we kind of have to read it from a descriptive perspective versus a prescriptive perspective. So prescriptive would be saying, uh, hey, do this, do this, do this. We are prescribing that. It's like when you go to a doctor and you have the flu, which about 30 people in our family do right now, um, and the doctor prescribes Tamiflu. It is prescriptive. Take this um, or we're going to scare you to death that you're going to die. So take this medicine. Uh, prescriptive. Descriptive, on the other hand, the book of Acts is majority descriptive. Now, there are some things that we do as application there, but descriptive meaning, hey, we're going to tell you how it was based on uh, truth. Okay, we're going to describe what happened. And so what we do here, uh, when we're reading this passage today, we're reading a description of what the first family did. Now, we can take application from that, but there are some differences. There are going to be some cultural differences, things like that. We're going to talk about it. But let's, again, think about the description of what the family did. The first thing that we see is it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, in verse 42. So the first thing that we see is, man, they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to learning. The apostles were the authority. They had been with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus for one, two, maybe two-plus years. So they knew what they were talking about. They were firsthand authorities. And it said that this group of people, this family, this fellowship, this quantania, they devoted themselves to learning from the source, their best source they had, which was the apostles. And, and they just, they did it. And here's the other thing, though. They did it together. Okay, it wasn't one person going to sit with the apostles and learn. It wasn't just two people. No, 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 it was all of them. They sat with the apostles and learned directly from the apostles. We don't have the apostles. We don't, but we have Scripture, which several apostles helped write. They were inspired to write. We have the very words of God, the way that he spoke through the prophets. We have the stories conveyed by Moses from God in the, uh, the beginnings of the Bible. We have the rest of the stories, the redemptive stories, the collection of all of God's works, his stories here. We also have the words of Jesus. And so, hey, if we're a family like them, again, descriptive versus prescriptive, what's our application? Our application should be the same. We devote ourselves to learning, and we need to do it together. Um, we make this statement frequently in, that it's, God did not come or send Jesus to redeem a person, but he came to redeem a people for himself. We need to learn as a people. We need to grow as a people but there's another word in there that I think is, is huge. It says they devoted themselves to that. Like it wasn't a passive action. Um, it wasn't just a, a circumstance of where they were. No, it was a, a cause in which they were willing to commit themselves to, that they were going to vote to devote themselves to learning from the apostles. I think if, if we really want to be a family in which God is the Father, Jesus is the Spirit, the Spirit of God, Jesus is the Savior, the Spirit lives in us, then we have to understand that it is something that we need to devote ourselves to, to learn everything that we can. And we're going to do it best together. We talked about that last week. You know, love the Lord your God with all your mind and your heart. This idea of how do we pursue God with our minds. Man, we start at the source with Scripture. We dive in and we do it best when we do it together. 
Um, several community groups came back this week after recapping um, from last week, and there was just an open struggle of just, man, we struggle um, to sit down and learn from God's Word. There's just that struggle there, okay? Admit it. Throw it out there. There's a struggle to read Scripture and learn, all right? Fine. Here's one of the solutions that popped up. We're really good with social instances and occurrences. Figure out how to mix them. Figure out, if you struggle to sit down by yourself and learn from God's Word, find other people to do it with you. If the social aspect makes it better, uh, by all means, do that. Find people that are going to hold you accountable. Find people that are reading the same thing at the same time as you and talk about it together. We learn together and be devoted to it. Say, hey, this is a commitment. This is a strive. If I want to know God, I have to strive for that. I have to work for that. Invite people in. Say, let's do it together. We're, We're just better that way. There's accountability, there's structure, there's more than one brain at play, which is always really good, at least for me. If it's just my brain, sometimes it gets really dumb and really bad, but luckily I have my wife to bounce things off of, and for her to say, no, hubby, that's, that's stupid, um, she uses b- bigger words than that. But still, same idea, we're better together. Devote yourselves together. And then the second thing, verse 43, it says, And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Uh, This whole idea of togetherness, this whole idea of submitting themselves to truth, learning from that, being devoted to that, guess what happened as a result? They saw God miraculously provide. This was not even so much a deal of them trying to do something. This was a byproduct of what God was doing in their midst. We've talked about active and passive sanctification. Sometimes there's active things that we do to pursue God, and and sometimes it feels like things are happening we didn't cause. That's called passive, but it's actually called God working. Man, they get to see that God just provided. It says, and all came upon every soul. So these weren't little things. These were amazing things, big things. They were submitting themselves, they were devoting themselves to the truth that they could hear through the apostles, learning together, and man, after submitting themselves to that, they saw God provide miraculously. Man, when we're together, and when we're sharing life together, man, how great is it that we get to share, hey, this is what God did last week, this is what God did yesterday, and all came upon every soul. They witnessed God's provision, comma, together. Again, that together idea, that fellowship idea, that family idea. Not so much a drive for them to do, but a result. Continuing on in verse 44, and it says, And all who believed were together, there's that word again, and had all things in common. And so this is one that gets a little bit tricky. Um, But this one, this having all things in common, it didn't mean that they all had the same name, same job, nothing like that. Here's the idea. They were heading in the same direction. They were united in pursuit. United in pursuit. They all wanted the same thing. And the same thing here, obviously, was, man, it was God's glory. They wanted more. They wanted to see it grow. They wanted to see it flourish and thrive. They wanted those things. They were wanting the same thing. Now, here's the reality of that. Um, They were all very different people, gifted differently, different jobs, different makeups, different backgrounds, different stories. But in the end, they all came together because they wanted the same thing. Same pursuit, but maybe at different paces. And that's okay. Man, if we go and we look at Corinthians and it talks about the spiritual gifts and it talks about that some were made to do this, some were made to do that, it talks about uh, there's, a, there's one body but many different parts, same idea. You know, we're one giant body, one giant family with different things that we've been gifted at by the Spirit to do, but yet we all want the same thing, going in the same direction. And this takes a lot of guesswork out of it. Like if we're unified in our pursuit, 
There's far less bickering. There's far less infighting. There's far less disagreements over what color carpet you should put in a sanctuary. Uh, luckily, we don't have carpet, and this really isn't even a sanctuary anyway, but we could disagree on other frivolous things too. But if the goal is God and His glory, it takes a lot of that stuff off the table because those things just really don't matter. United in pursuit. You know, it's, it's almost like the idea when we look at marriage and marriage and following Jesus are very, very similar. And in marriage, it says, do not be unequally yoked. You know, talking about a believer, to be honest, should not marry an unbeliever because you're going to have different goals. When we come together as a body, we shouldn't be unequally yoked either in the sense that we need to want the same thing. The same thing. God's glory, His renown to grow, to thrive, to flourish. The way we think that best happens is by making disciples, and I think Jesus would agree. That's the reason He told them at the end, go, make disciples. That's the pursuit. But again, it takes hands, it takes feet, it takes minds, it takes all those things, different parts of the body, same pursuit, maybe different pace. And we've even talked about the life cycle of the, I point back at the TV because we had the wheel up there, the life cycle of a disciple. You know, there are babies there, there are children there, there are young adults there, there are parents there. Man, it takes all of those too, but still same pursuit, different places in our journey, same Jesus. Different gifts, same Jesus. Different backgrounds, same Jesus pursuit. And so I'll tell you, like, the back of your, for people whose heads I don't recognize, the back of your heads, hey, here's our goal. Um, we want every man, woman, and child in this city to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to Jesus, period. We don't gather, I mean, to be honest, I hope we don't gather for any other reason. So if you're looking for a family to be a part of and you're wanting something other than that, um, we can recommend several places for you, but this is not it. That is what we want. So I'm glad you're here if that's what you want. Stick around. They were united in pursuit. Here's the other thing, verse 45. Here's where it gets a little touchy. It says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Hold on. Hold on, Americans. I'm going to read it again. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now we're talking about money. It gets real when we talk about money, right? It said they took the extra that they didn't need, they sold it, and then they put all that money in a bowl and said, if you need it, take it. Woo! Man, that gets sticky. Because then you're like, well, what process did you go through to be approved for that money? How many, how many uh, are you... Are you going to take good care of that? Have you been through Dave Ramsey's class? Are you a good steward of your money? Um, how much are you saving? How much are you investing? What's your 401 look like? You know, they didn't do any of that. They just said, hey, your family, do you need something? Okay. There it is. What would happen? Like, here, here's, the, here's the biggest question. Number one, what would happen in a faith family like this if we did something like that? Now, granted, as a church, as an organization, we take care of needs that you never see. If someone comes to us or we find out that someone has a need, we're going to do our best to meet it. We've even budgeted for that. Man, imagine that. We've budgeted to take care of family needs. Okay, it's called miscellaneous family needs. Sometimes it means that, that a couple's had the flu, so we go and we buy soup and make them soup, whatever that may be. Sometimes it means that uh, financial struggle has hit somebody and they can't pay a bill, and so we quietly pay a bill. And that's great, but what would happen like in your community groups 
And I've seen this happen. We know that it happens. Believe it or not, it does. Maybe you don't even know it because we don't talk about it a lot. But what would happen if you found out that in community groups, um, there have been people that haven't been able to pay their bills and someone in that group said, hey, I'm going to help you. That's crazy, isn't it? God has been so good because it does happen. It does happen. Nobody waves a flag. Nobody does that. You know, you, you find out that um, a family is, uh, is struggling for food. You have families just kick in and take them meals. It happens every week. I'm so proud of this family. You love each other so stinking well. And you never ask to be recognized for it. But we see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that just this week, like we can't even, like I can't even use names, but just families taking care of families this week. I love it. And I can promise you that is not normal. It's not normal. Distributing the proceeds to any has had need. Now, granted, culturally, we handle money a lot differently than they did then, okay? We have banks. We have things like that. Um, and we will probably never, for safety purposes, put a bowl in the middle of this room with a bunch of money in it. But what we do have is we have family that should communicate with one another regularly. And if there is a need, if you have a need, tell someone. If you find out that a family member has a legitimate need and you are unable to meet it, ask somebody to help. Come to us, come to me, come to Stephen, come to Neil, go to our wives, go to your community group leaders, say, hey, here's a struggle. What can we do? I'm looking at Abram right now. He, Abram and Rob and, and Sarah, they're over the, the finance committee. Um, I know that if we said we need to move some money to take care of somebody, they would say, okay, let's do that. But I love the fact that sometimes it never even gets to us. It never even makes it to our ears because it's just taken care of. Man, that is not normal. It's not normal. That is evidence of people that have been changed by something better than them, bigger than them, the spirit of the living God that's in them, and I love it. These people understood, and I know that you do too, that stuff will never be more important than people. Stuff will never be more important than people. Mm. They took care of each other. They were meeting needs, others' needs. And, and just, just for a minute, imagine, too, that we're never going to publicize it. We're not. That's not what we're going to do. But imagine if the outside world that has so much distrust for the church and disdain for the church found out about it. Imagine what would happen. At first, they would, they would probably call us a cult. Okay, that's knee-jerk response. That's a cult, man. But if we kept doing it long enough, I think there would be intrigue. And then if we kept doing it long enough, I think at some point, at the heart of most people, they would say, I want to be loved like that too. We're going to get to that in just a minute, but I think at the heart of most people, everyone wants to belong, right? Man, I look at Jonathan and Britt Gunther, and I see what they've created at CrossFit Five Forks, um, and I probably called it the wrong name, Five Forks CrossFit, Five Forks Athletics, whatever, FFA, Future Farmers of America. They've made family where family was not over there. And I know that the, at the heart of why they've done it is because Jesus has wrecked them and changed them. And they've made family. 
everyone wants to be loved and everyone wants to belong. We all crave it. That's the reason you go to places like Stockholm, Sweden, in which they promote individuality to such a degree that they have the highest level of single living domiciles in the world, in the developed world. And guess what else is at its highest too? The level of suicide. Because we were meant to belong. If we just look, we'll see that people are clamoring to be a part. They want family. Imagine what would happen if we just showed them the type of family that God desired to build through his church. Mm. Stuff never trumped people. Verse 46, and it says, And day by day, we'll come back to that phrase, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The first part of that, it says attending temple together. The temple is no longer the center for all life for us. Back then in these neighborhoods, the temple would have been the center for all community life. Later in the United States, like in the late 1800s, it would have been the church building or the school building. Uh, but for us, it doesn't really work like that. We don't have a, a structural center of our communities anymore. Um, but here's the thing. It says day by day, they worship together. Day by day. Does that mean that we need to be here Monday through Sunday? No, because we can't. We couldn't afford the rent, and they wouldn't let us. But, but what it does mean is that now that God has made a family where family was not, we need to find ways to be together and worship together every single day. It doesn't mean that we need John playing for us every day. It doesn't mean that we need Jason getting into it and making the greatest faces ever when he plays drums, because I love it when he does. It doesn't mean that, no, but it means that we need to ascribe worth to God in the way that we convey information to each other, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we celebrate with each other, the way that we pray for one another, the way that we take care of one another's needs. It says day by day, every single day, not just one day a week, not just two, but every day they worship together. It could be as simple as a text to say, man, this is what I heard from God this morning. What did you hear? It could be, hey, today I'm in the weeds. I am struggling. Would you pray for me? Because I trust that God will meet my needs if the prayers of a righteous man are offered up. And guess what? We've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, not by our works. So I'm trusting you for that. It could be just, hey, would you like to get together for coffee and read a little bit together? Man, worship. Anything that is going to convey the idea that God is worth my time, he is worth my pursuit, he is worth my affections, he is worth my my heart, my mind, my strength. Any of that is worship. And there's no cookie cutter deal for it. It's just, it's meant to be done as people going after Jesus, but doing it together. It says day by day they did it. They didn't wait for Sunday. They didn't wait for Saturday evening. They didn't wait for a podcast. They just did it. Again, same question. How would the outside world view us differently if we did that? How would the outside world define the church differently if we did that? Because after all, it is about the outside world. It is about those who do not yet know Jesus. It's about the glory of God. God's glory is only going to be spread by more people coming into the family, by the life, the death, the work, and the words of Jesus Christ. We get to spread that. How would the outside world think differently if they saw a group of people that were, were singing the goodness of God every day, not just on Sundays, not just from 9.30 to 10.45, if we're on time. How would the world view us differently? They might actually start to believe what we say we're committed to, to be honest. It says, and day by day, they attended the temple together. For us, 
It's different. And then it says, in breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Yes, they ate bread together, so they weren't gluten-free. That's okay. But here's the big thing about that. It said they received their food, the food that they ate together, with glad and generous hearts. We kind of hit on this last week. Man, what does that even look like? They were grateful and generous simultaneously, not seasonally. They were grateful and generous simultaneously, not seasonally. So it means that as soon as God blessed them with one thing, they would go ahead and move it to another hand and say, who needs it? Or maybe just, hey, God, you've blessed me with so much. Okay, thank you, but uh, what does somebody else need? Grateful and generous hearts. Thank you, God. Now what can I do with it? Thank you, God. Now what can I do with it? Man, that's crazy too. Because generally, hey, thank you, God, is all we get. Thank you, God, for this stuff. And we don't get to that second part, but they did it at the same time, simultaneously, not seasonally. Seasonally would be, God, I'm going to let you bless me for six months, and then once I hit this level in my retirement, uh, then I'll be generous. But they said, no, God, you bless me so that I can bless others. Okay, how do I do that? What do I need to do? Man, maybe we need to have conversations with people and ask people what they need. Maybe we need to open our eyes a little bit, and we do that well. We do. Thank you for doing that well. Maybe we need to do it more. Or maybe it's just an admission that, God, everything you give me, it's not really mine. It's just yours, and you're asking me to utilize it well. Steward it well. Treat it as a tool, not just as a gift. As a tool, not just a gift. They were grateful and generous simultaneously. Man, and here's the kicker. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, verse 47. It says, in praising God and having favor with all the people. We'll pause there. This is the one that kills me. Because the church today doesn't have favor. We don't. Because if we did, people with need, they would be at our doors, here and in our homes. They would be there because they would see the validity of Jesus based on how we live, and they would trust us. But here's the reality. And this may not be anything to do with your fault. It could be a generational issue of the church now. We've become far more known about what we're against than what we're for. Far more known about what we're against than what we're for. Here's the deal. God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. The message of the gospel is meant to be heard by all people. All people. We can't do that if people think that we hate them before they ever come and talk to us. The mission is severely inhibited if we see and accost people's sin before we see and hear them. I'm going to say that again. The mission is severely inhibited if we see and accost people's sin before we see and hear them. The world needs to know that the church is for them. The world needs to know that the bride of Christ that's waiting for her groom who is dressed in splendor, we should be dressed in splendor too. And that splendor should sound a lot like Jesus, saying, I love you, I want you to know me, 
and I want to know you. We very rarely see Jesus address someone's sin before he addressed the fact that they need him. There were a few times, but those were the religious people. And the religious people were making claims already, and he needed to address that. But for everyone else, he addressed their need for them well before he addressed their sin. Sin is real. It's outlined in Scripture. We're not going to debate that. It's not up for debate. But here's the other thing that comes before that. All people without Jesus have no hope. And we need to convey hope. And here's, I, I think this is our best way of doing it. The way we love each other. Our best apologetic ever. Apologetics is a class that you're going to take in Bible college or seminary, and it just means the way that we share the gospel with different groups of people. Our best apologetic ever for all people is always going to start with the way that we love each other. The one another's. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet, like we talked about in John 13, he says, uh, a new commandment that I give you, that you are to love one another the way that I've loved you. And guess what? The world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Guess what this passage says? After displaying all the ways in which they love one another, they worship together, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, they witnessed God's miraculous provisions together, they were united in their pursuit no matter what their gifts and their speeds of maturity were, uh, they were meeting one another's needs daily, they worshiped together daily, they were grateful and generous simultaneously, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people, meaning the people on the outside, they looked at the way that they love one another, and they said, I trust them. I trust them. Why? Because I've seen them live out exactly what they say they believe. A world that's dying for family, clamoring to belong, needs to see family. They need to see it. And they don't need to see, um, man, a part-time family. They need to see a full-time family, a realistic family. It doesn't mean that we put on a show. It means that we become realistic and authentic with one another, and we love each other how we are, where we are, whenever and however we can. Because when the outside world sees it, according to Scripture and according to this descriptive passage, they will see Jesus. They will see Jesus. It says, and they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. <laughs> imagine. Imagine if we loved each other well enough that the world would come to us and say, I want that too. Because that's what happened. That's exactly what happened with the early church. They were never told how to love one another. They were just inhabited by the life-changing, transformative power of the Spirit of God based on by grace through faith. And then they began to love each other so well, so radically, that the world came to them and said, I want that too. And guess what they got to say? Okay, I can tell you how you get in this family. Imagine what would happen. We are no longer in a place in this country to where we can wait for people to come to us because, and I, I will say this boldly and I will say it emphatically, because as a church, we forgot what it meant to love each other like family. And we began to gather together spirit periodically instead. We cannot be a church that just gathers together periodically. We need to be a family that loves each other daily for the sake of one another, but for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of this city, 
for the sake of your neighborhoods, for the sake of your children that are watching, for the sake of your coworkers that you see every single day, for the sake of the gospel. We must be authentic, Christ-following family. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, not just those who were coming to church, but those who were being saved. So what does that look like for this family? I think that's going to be a different answer for every one of us because it's going to start with what can I do to love like this? What do I need to do? What is my response? And then you take all those responses and you put them together as one family and there's going to be our answer. But the first question is this. Do you even want that? Do we really even want the level of transparency that's needed, the level of generosity uh, that is requisite, all of those things? Do we even want it? I think if Jesus is Lord of our life, then we have to. So maybe, here's your, here's your process. If you say, I don't want that, ask the question, is Jesus Lord of my life? And if he's not, man, I'd love to talk to you. Um, John and Stephen and Neil and our wives would love just to sit down and talk to your community group leader. If you don't have one yet, you need to find one. They would love to talk to you. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of your life? Because when he does, and when he is, you're brought into a family we couldn't make, we couldn't replicate. And it can be amazing. Have to love one another. God, we thank you for your word. We thank, thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the, the description of your, your early church, who you redeemed and what they did. Father, I praise you for uh, the family that you have blessed us with here at Origins, the family that is Origins. God, I thank you for the generosity that goes unseen and unsung. But God, they do it just because they know you. God, I pray in a sense that it would be contagious that those who were blessed would in turn bless others. God, I pray in a sense that it would, be, um, it would be transformative, that people would see it and they would want to know why. God, I pray it would be incredibly intriguing. I pray that it would just bring up questions in the lives of people that maybe don't trust the church. Father, I pray that you would use family to draw people to yourself, to point others to Jesus. And God, you would allow us to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love this city as a result. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.